Well, what a joy uh, it is to be with you. As I mentioned, my name is Dan Gifford, and uh, I was talking with, uh, uh, with Alistair and realized that it's been quite a few years since I've been here. I think it was the first, um, uh, first uh, season of your church here that I was here last. So what a, a joy it is for you to come. And one of the things that is, uh, is an occupational hazard for ministers in churches is we don't get to visit other churches. But as a bishop... That's all you do is visit other churches. So uh, what a great way to, to spend a Sunday is to be with you and to be able to celebrate the work of God in the lives of Jake and Paul and Michelle and Chandler and Phil and uh, Gogo as well. God working in their life in a powerful way and for you all to be part of it. Uh, we have asked that the Holy Spirit will fill them so that they will faithfully serve the Lord Jesus in his church. And I wonder, do you realize how many times we talked about the Holy Spirit already in this service? We began the service by asking the Holy Spirit to cleanse the thoughts of our minds by his inspiration so that we can love God and glorify him through Jesus. Uh, we asked for the Holy Spirit to do that in our life. And we prayed for those to be confirmed for several things, to strengthen them, to be a witness and uh, a minister of Jesus. And then, if you remember, I laid hands, and I said it quite a few times, so you remember it. <laughs> I prayed that uh, the Holy Spirit will, that they will daily increase in God's Holy Spirit more and more. And then we prayed at the end that Holy Spirit would always be with them, and so lead them in the knowledge and obedience of your holy word. This is what we said in our prayer. This is so appropriate for today because we are in the, serve, in the series of Luke. Luke loved talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, he was very interested in the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's one of the reasons God moved him to write his gospel, is to show how God the Holy Spirit works in the life of the church and in you and I individually. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts, the work of God by his power in uh, very unlikely people. And uh, he, he, um, he wrote in there that the gospel of the Lord Jesus only went forth in power because the Holy Spirit filled people and worked through them. Uh, he is awed, Luke is, by God the Holy Spirit working in the lives of very often influential, ordinary, and broken people who at one time were very far away from God. They are unlikely. And he revolutionized their life. And through them, this living church steadily and powerfully grew in very different cultures. It's remarkable. Gentile and Jew who hated one another. It's like Ukraine and Russia hating each other, being part of a church. Big, multicultural cities, small towns, uh, the rich and the poor, all of them responded to the gospel. The religious and the godless, those who had been hurt by religious life, those who were professional religious people, responded to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So the Luke writes about the Holy Spirit from what he saw and he heard firsthand from people. And in our Bible reading today, Luke writes about the Holy Spirit working through and in people who pray. And so I want to look at verses 1 through 13 in Luke of chapter 11. If you have a Bible, please turn to that. 
and uh, we, will, we will just work through this. He begins in verse 1 through 4 with the Lord's Prayer, which you all know, and which the confirmands, by the way, had to memorize, which was probably easy for them to do because most of them know it, but they also had to memorize the Apostles' Creed and the Ten Commandments. So uh, ask them afterwards if they memorized it and, and do it for you. Uh, when I first came to Canada, I was uh, a Canadian citizen, but I'd been living in the U.S., and they didn't know what to do with me. This was 30 years ago. They said, oh, you're a citizen, but you're not a resident. Uh, what do you do? I said, I'm a minister. And they said, oh, okay. Uh, how do we know you're a minister? Well, ministers don't have cards of ordination, so I said, I don't know. He said, well, maybe I can ask you, this guy said, maybe I can ask you what the Ten Commandments are. And I said, do you know the Ten Commandments? <laughs> he said, good point. I said, you wouldn't know if I got them right or not. He said, you're right. Go ahead. You're in. <laughs> the Lord's Prayer is central to our life. That's why they learned it. Uh, what, what we pray is so important. How we obey God's very important Ten Commandments. And how we, um, uh, how we actually live for the Lord Jesus is very, very important in our life as well. This is what we believe about him, what we know to be true. This is the Apostles' Creed. This is the gospel that transformed us. We talked about it as we said that Apostles' Creed together. So I but I want to talk about prayer. Um, he ends, look at verse 13, this section, by saying, God the Father always gives the Holy Spirit to all who ask, everyone who asks. And this is the striking feature of Luke, that in prayer, the Holy Spirit is working. Uh, Luke shows Jesus praying more than all of the other Gospels combined. Did you know that? And at the beginning of his ministry, where he is baptized, we hear Jesus praying after his baptism, and heaven opens, and what happens? The Holy Spirit descends upon him in bodily form like a dove. It's quite a picture. So this is about prayer. Last week, you heard about Jesus' interaction with Martha and Mary. And Jesus commended Mary because she exemplifies the life of an apostle focused on learning from the Lord Jesus at his feet. Mary is for all time a picture of what it means to be a disciple. And today, we have a disciple who is not named who follows her pattern in verse 1. Jesus has just finished praying. That disciple's watching him, what he was doing. Well, Jesus did it every day. And one, of, and one of them said, teach us how to pray. And we're so glad he made that request. It's just like, I'm so glad when people who go to Alpha or to catechism ask the question, you know, or they say, can you teach me this? Because it means so much for everyone else. Because he made that request, Jesus teaches Three things that I want to go over, how we pray, what to pray, and why we pray. Now, this could take and should take a whole sermon series, and I'm going to go through it very quickly. The Lord's Prayer itself should be a, a series that's pretty long. Um, so we're going to go through quickly, but I want to focus on a couple things, and the first thing is how to pray. And I want to focus on one word. The first word of the Lord's Prayer is how to pray. It is Father. That one word is the gospel beginning to all our prayers. 
And it is because that word is the wonderful assurance that God has adopted you and me, who were once separated from, G uh, from God, to be his daughters and to be his sons by adoption and grace, because of the grace-filled work of the Lord Jesus. Um, Jesus is teaching that prayer is for people who are at peace with God. Are you at peace with God this morning? You may know somebody, or you may be somebody right now here, who knows you're not at peace with God. And I invite you, before I talk anything more about prayer, to ask Jesus to reconcile you to God today, to forgive your sin in his mercy and grace. He alone can do it by his sacrificial death on a cross. I invite you, therefore, to know the love of God the Father for you forever. That's what Jesus is teaching. How do I truly pray to the living God and know him? He is the one who we are at peace with, who we have been adopted by. And knowing God as Father is the great truth that only Jesus, God the Son, can reveal to us. It is fundamental to who God is. There's no other religion in all the world that calls God Father. All the blessings of God come to us because Jesus has opened this relationship with God to you and to me by adoption and grace. And so how does the Holy Spirit come in? I think we know. Romans 8, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And you know that the word for father is Abba, which is one of the first words that any Hebrew child learns. It's what uh, they name their parent. It's a word of closeness and intimacy, but it's also a sign of great honor and respect. If you follow the Lord's command to honor your father and mother, you address your father as Abba. Um, we live in Richmond in a duplex, and the people who lived next to us in the duplex, and the next one over, for many years was a Jewish couple. And we missed them very much because they moved a couple years ago. They became, we became very close friends with them. We celebrated Shabbat with them, part of their families and grandchildren's important events. Uh, we lived life together. And one of the things I miss is seeing their sons, who had kids of their own, greet them when they came to visit. And what these guys would do, who would be, a couple of their sons were in their 40s, and they would give their dad a kiss on the cheek, and they would say, Abba, I love you, with great respect, every time they came to visit. And that picture is very, very powerful here, because it shows the double meaning of closeness and deep honor that that word Abba means. And you might be here thinking, wait a second, my father was pretty imperfect. It's hard for me to capture that picture. And Jesus knows that we all have had imperfect fathers. And if you're a father, you know your own failings. If you don't, your children will tell you at some point, 100%. Uh, but some of us, and some of us may have experienced deep pain 
and even abuse at the hands of our fathers. What do we do about that? All of us, Jesus is teaching us here, can imagine what a good father should be like. Everyone. That is human. We can name what was wrong and what should have been in that relationship that was painful. We can understand with our minds and our hearts what our perfectly heavenly Father is like. God the Father is one who loves us deeply and constantly, no matter who has given up on you. He understands us perfectly. He meets our needs. He protects us forever. He provides for our inheritances. He teaches us. He gently and wisely corrects us. He sacrifices everything for our well-being. He is the one who it is a joy to obey because he is great and good beyond all measure. And his greatness and majesty in all of that wonder, he, he holds the, the universe in his hands, with all that power, he takes delight in you. This is my daughter with whom I am, I am well pleased. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's what it means to know God as your heavenly father. And Jesus teaches this as he says down in verse 13, if you fathers then who are evil, and what it means by that is those uh, who are evil in comparison to the goodness of God, those whose every part of our life is touched by sin, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and we do, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You see, God who created all things comes close to us through Jesus. And so we pray, Father. So that's how we pray. And secondly, what does Jesus teach us to pray? Well, here's the sermon series, and I'll do it in less than five minutes. <laughs> it's this very basically. There are two parts to this prayer. The first part is that we worship God first of all. Do we remember to do that in our prayers? Pray for God's glory and his will to be accomplished. That's what's going on there. So look at verse 2. Hallowed be your name means we are praying that God's name will be reverenced throughout the world, beginning with us. You see, Jesus calls us more to be, and more to be shaped by God's holiness, not our idea of what's good for us, but by his holiness and goodness, not by the world's values and morality. And secondly, we pray that his kingdom will come, that more and more people will know his gracious rule in their life, his healing work that will culminate one day in heaven. We are people who are fundamentally shaped by the fact that Jesus will come again in glory, bringing heaven and earth in a perfectly restored and healed universe and people. We are shaped by that. We pray for that day to come. And we pray for that goodness to begin coming now in the lives of people as Jesus is their Lord and their Savior. And then we pray, and this is not here. This is in the other version that Jesus gave. He taught this prayer many times. But he prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That it's, it's just as God's will is being done by the angels and church in heaven, that that will happen in that way here on earth. So you see, when we start that prayer, God takes your eyes off yourself, first of all, um, 
there, that fixation we have with ourself that's very natural to us, he pulls us from that. And he goes not after our needs and agenda, first of all, but his will, his agenda, his kingdom, and his glory. Then, and only then, do we turn to our own physical, relational, and spiritual needs. And God knows what they all are. He goes deep into each of those things. He actually pray, says, pray for your daily bread. So hard for us in a bountiful nation and place where we have great wealth in comparison to much of the world. But we pray for our daily bread, not just my daily bread. By the way, this is, this is liturgy. This is why we do it together. Jesus is saying, pray together. We're praying for our daily bread so that we pray also for the needs of those who go without uh, and we live for that. Here's God's justice, that we're praying that God will meet those basic physical needs. And often that may be through you personally. We pray for our daily bread. This is all about dependence, this second part of the prayer. And then we pray for our relational needs. We pray that God will forgive our sins as we forgive other people. That there is a pattern in our, in our life that comes because we have first been forgiven by the Lord Jesus. You know, I asked um, Jim Packer, who uh, went to our church before he died, I asked him which of the books that he wrote was the most important to him, that he was kind of most proud of. Well, he answered very wisely. He said, like you do with your children, there's not one book I would single out. But he said, through all my books, my great hope was that everyone would know the joy of the forgiveness of sins. That was the goal of his work in ministry, that people would know the joy of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And when we pray that prayer, we know afresh the joy of being forgiven by Jesus, and it deeply strengthens us to do the sometimes very difficult, challenging risk of forgiving other people. But that affects people. It is contagious. Your church will show compassion and forgiveness in your life together when you are deeply aware of God's forgiveness of you. And that's why confession and forgiveness are vital in the times that we meet together. It's part of every service that you're part of. So there's our relational needs and physical needs. And then we pray for our spiritual needs. Strength and help in the struggle with Satan, sin, and death. And so Jesus says, lead us not into temptation and in the longer form, but deliver us from evil. Now, God doesn't tempt us. We are actually asking God here to lead us away from temptation, to order our lives so that we don't walk into temptation. You know, John Calvin said that this sentence should read, that we might not be led into temptation, deliver us from evil. That we are not led into temptation, deliver us from evil. And he says the meaning is we're conscious of our own weakness and we desire to enjoy the protection of God. That we might remain impregnable, I love that word, against all the assaults of Satan. That there might be a fortress against all the assaults of Satan. The only way to avoid sin is to follow where God leads and to depend upon him for his protection. So there's the Lord's Prayer in about five minutes or so. But what we, I want to tell you is that only the living, all-powerful God, who is our Father, can answer these prayers. But often we skip focusing our Father and his glory, 
and his will to be done. And instead, we start with our own needs. So we say, we pray the Lord's Prayer like this. Our Father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. But Jesus is teaching us to grow in our prayers here. He knows we struggle. I could make you all feel guilty by asking you, how's your prayer life this morning? And myself as well. He knows we struggle, and he is patient with us. He strongly and clearly calls us to fill our minds with God the Father's love for us. Fill our minds with his glory and his powerful purposes in our prayers. It will transform your prayers. And then the last thing I want to say besides how we pray, what we pray, why do we pray? What motivates us to pray? Well, look down at verses 5 through 13. It tells us here that we pray very simply, and I can distill all these verses by it, is that God is so very, very generous with us. That's why we pray. So Jesus tells this story. He says, imagine that there's a friend that shows up at midnight. You have no food for him. It's a very serious issue. Uh, Catherine, my wife, and I took our um, honeymoon 21 years ago, I think I got that right, in Turkey. And we just traveled around by buses. We didn't do a tour or anything. And, and you'd have these overnight buses, and you'd, and you'd stop in at uh, places in the middle of nowhere that, where there'd be hundreds of people with no place to sit. Everybody's grabbing something to eat. Every time we went there, no matter who they were, people with small children, old people, they would see us and they'd say, come, 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 sit down. We'll move over and we'll stand up so you can sit down. They didn't know who we were. Well, this is part of the culture of the Middle East. Hospitality is all important. Welcoming people. It's a marvelous part of that culture. So it was a serious issue, Jesus is pointing out. You don't have any food. And you go and wake up a very grumpy neighbor who has wakened his children to try to get to your door knock, and uh, you make him give you some food to share, working very hard, no matter what the cost to the relationship. Now, Jesus doesn't tell that story to tell us that you have to work really hard to get God to respond. Even though if you read the commentaries, many will say, seem to say that. In fact, Jesus reproaches us from thinking that way. In verse 11, he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish Give a poisonous snake. That'll serve you right for asking for something like that. Or or what if uh, he asks for an egg? Will you give him a scorpion? That will teach him. Well, the listeners would be deeply offended, as you would be if you were asked that. But he says, if you then who are evil, evil in comparison to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You see, that story is told because it's such a great contrast to God, who God really is. Jesus is reproaching them. Why would you think of God in that way? As one who is not ready to give you what is truly good. As somebody who doesn't really want to hear from you. And the point of that story also is, you don't have anything. You are that person. Jesus says, imagine you're the one who has a guest come and you have nothing to give. That's how we come to God in our prayers. We come to be filled because of our deep need for him. And if we don't believe that, pride has taken hold in our hearts. We deeply need him, and he deeply wants to give. The colics and the Anglican shirts that God is far more willing to, act, to give to us than we are to ask and to pray. 
God delights in giving the very best to us. He gives us himself in the Holy Spirit. And that's how our passage ends. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Do I trust that God has good for me? As we leave this place right now, do we trust that? Are we afraid that perhaps it will be, he might do some painful things in my life if I ask him for my needs, if I ask him to come into my life, if I ask him for the things that are important relationally, spiritually, and physically? We may think, I can't give my whole life. I can't take this risk or step forward because it might not go well for me. I can do a better job of running my life myself. Thank you very much. Well, the gift of the Holy Spirit is that he is the revolutionary agent of change. He revolutionized the disciples' lives in the book of Acts. He gave a love, he, gave, he did three things, and I'll close with this. He gave a love of holiness. Now, that's a countercultural thing. It's not natural to us. He, the Holy Spirit knocked pride out of his disciples. They had an innate selfishness. God changed that, so they followed Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. All of the parts of our life that are not holy and pure, God corrects us and moves us. His love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's by his Holy Spirit that we can cry, Abba, Father, those who are set apart for him. And he gives us the gifts to bless us in our struggle against sin, the devil, and the world, as we heard today in the Confirmation. So he gives us a love of holiness, the Holy Spirit, if we ask that Holy Spirit. And we got to be ready for that. Secondly, he gives us a zeal for mission. I love this about St. Peter's, that you are about mission to a city, to this place where you live, to the people in your lives, recognizing that there is deep need, even when people present as being very accomplished and professional. There is deep need. And so there is a desire to live for God and his gospel that the Holy Spirit gives so that we don't retreat into bunkers as we're tempted to do. Instead, he opens your mouth to proclaim his praise, to give a reason for the hope that is in you. The Holy Spirit will nudge you in the opportunities to speak of the hope in you and make you aware of the deep needs in the people in your life and in the city. And finally, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus is the truth. He is objectively and uniquely the Son of God. Only God is the way, only God the Son is the way to God, the living God. And we are very good at creating counterfeit gods, idols in our life. We're like idol factories, John Calvin said. And we need to recognize when this happens, the things that we cherish and hold on to that are actually opposed to God or counterfeits to God. The spirit of truth will point to Jesus. He is like a floodlight showing Jesus in his glory. And God the Father and his love and his power and his work for you and your salvation and your healing. May we ask God for his good gifts. And when you do that, may you find that God takes you very, very seriously. That he will change us for our good that there will be uncomfortable things about this as, we, as he corrects us. But always it will be for our healing, for preparing us for heaven. God knows how to give good gifts, and he gives us himself. He, good, he gives good gifts through our prayers to him. And so let's ask him now 
to fill us with that Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and have adopted us. And we ask you a little bit afraid because you might take our request seriously. That the Holy Spirit does come into our, into our lives, giving us your holiness, your zeal for mission, your truth in and through us. We pray for us now and for our city. And we will pray that you will give this church of St. Peter's your Holy Spirit to those who ask you. And that he will do that wonderful work among us for your glory and for our good, the saving of our souls. In his precious name we pray. Amen.